Near the end of Jesus' time here on earth, uh, the Pharisees especially wanted nothing more than to discredit him and try to win back the respect that they felt like they lost when he came. Now, for the Pharisees, in their worldview, the way you get respect is, is that you win intellectual challenges or you show yourself to be the most uh, interested in seeming righteousness. And so they devised a trap for Jesus, a trap that they wanted to spring an intellectual trap. Now, they knew better than to sort of uh, go after this head-on, and so they decided to be sneaky about it. And they sent their disciples to Jesus. And the disciples of the Pharisees began with flattery, and they said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of God, that you're a man of integrity, that you don't worry about what other people think, but you teach the truth no matter what the consequences may be. And then came the trap. And for the trap, they asked this question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, it's interesting that the Pharisees, when they were trying to come up with an intellectual trap for Jesus, chose politics as the subject. It's interesting, they thought, if we're going to get him to make a misstep, that it's in the area of our relationship to the state that that's probably going to happen. Now, the reason they understood this to be a difficult question is because even though the Jews at that time were living in the land that God had given to them, they were living there under Roman occupation. They were not free. And so this raised very, very difficult questions for the Jewish person living at the time of Jesus. Some people at that time thought the best strategy was to embrace rebellion to refuse to have anything to do with the religious authorities at the time, and in fact, to fight to subvert them. Other people at the time of Jesus thought that separation was the better policy. To simply go off into monastic communities, have nothing to do with the Roman government whatsoever, to completely avoid them. Still others thought the best policy was simply to deal with the reality that was there and to simply embrace it wholesale and to take on as much of the sort of Roman government's worldview as possible. The Pharisees, realizing that this question, how can the people of God interact with the state in the correct way, was so difficult intellectually that this was what they used in an attempt to trap Jesus. The question about our relationship to the state is really no easier today. That when we think about it, this world in which we live, this is the world given to us by God to be a blessing to us. But the scriptures make it clear that this world is not under God's direct control anymore. It belongs to the evil one. And the question is, how do you and I, who are the people of God, who are believers in Jesus, how do we properly respond to and relate to the government and the state in which we find ourselves? This world is not run directly by Jesus. Instead, we have the U.S. government and the Chinese government and the Brazilian government. And here in America, we have federal government and state government and local government. And the question is, how do we as Christians, as believers in Jesus, correctly relate to 
the powers that be. For example, what should you and I think about the Affordable Care Act? If you're a teacher in the public school, how should you react to the policies that you're not allowed to talk about Christmas at all in the classroom? What should you and I do? How should we interact with police or judges or elected officials who are not believers in Jesus? Well, when Jesus was asked this question about what's the correct view of the people of God's relationship to the state, Peter was there listening to the answer. And Peter took what Jesus said and has formulated it into principles that can help us today as we attempt to connect to and relate to the world in which we find ourselves. We want to look at those principles this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you or underneath your seat. It's page 981 in those Bibles. 1 Peter 2, page 981. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 of 1 Peter 2, but before we do, I want to put the passage we're about to look at in the context of the whole letter. You see, you come here week after week, and it's easy as we look at section after section to lose the forest because of the trees, to kind of forget where we are in the argument of the whole letter. If you were here last week, we went through some very important teaching. Now, we did so hopefully in a somewhat simple way because it was really a sermon aimed at children. But we were talking about God's plan to rescue the world. And we'll see how well you remember. There were three steps. Does anyone remember what step number one was? God chooses. That's right. God chooses. Step number two? We obey. And step number three? God uses our obedience to save others. You make a teacher's heart proud. That's so great. <laughs> yes, that's God's plan for rescuing the world. And we looked at 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 12, and saw that plan. But it's not just in that passage of 1 Peter that that plan is revealed. It's actually how Peter sets up the entire epistle. Look back with me at chapter 1. You see the heading that the NIV has over verse number 3? That section, verse 3 to verse 12 of chapter 1. Praise to God for a living hope. That section is about how God chose us to receive new birth into a living hope. That's step one. God chooses. The next section of 1 Peter, which is chapter 1, verse 13, all the way through chapter 2, verse 10, these are all instructions that Peter gives us about how we're supposed to live in light of the fact that God has chosen us. He tells us that we're supposed to set our hopes on the coming of Christ, that we're supposed to be holy, we're supposed to fear God, we're supposed to love one another deeply, we're supposed to grow up into our salvation, and then in the last section of chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he tells us that God is not interested simply in individuals who obey but in creating communities of obedience. Well, all of that is step number two. We obey, God chooses us. Step two, we obey. Now, look at verse number 11 of chapter two. You see the heading the NIV has put over that? Living godly lives in a pagan society 
we're about to launch into a section of 1 Peter in which the focus is really on step three, how God uses our obedience to bring other people to himself. And he gave us a general introduction of that in verses 11 and 12 that we looked at last week. And now Peter's going to apply that, those general principles to three specific cases. First, our relationship to the state. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. How when we are obedient to God in the midst of the community in which we live in our relationship to the state, God can use that to bring people to himself. The next section, which is verses 18 to 25, is about how we can do that in our workplace. And then chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, is about how this mission of God works itself out in the home. So that's where we are in the epistle of 1 Peter. And what Peter is writing here, to put our section in context, is not a general theory of the relationship of church and state. Instead, what he's doing is talking about how we can relate to the governing powers and authorities in such a way that God can accomplish his mission, which is to rescue the world. And Peter gives us three principles about how you and I are to connect to and relate to the governing authorities over us. The first principle is found in verses 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. The first principle is, is that you and I are to respect and obey those who are in authority over us. We are to respect and obey those that God has put in, in positions of authority in the state. Respect and obey. That's what the word submit means. It's more than just obey. Look in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Part of submitting to the governing authorities is to respect and to obey them. That means this is talking about our relationship to President Obama, Governor Schneider, Mayor Hartwell, others who are in positions of authority in the state. And our responsibility is to respect and obey them. Now you need to understand that when Peter is writing these instructions, the emperor that he's talking about is most likely a man named Claudius. If it's not Claudius, then it's Nero. In either case, neither one of these guys are good Christian men. You need to know that Claudius is the one who passed a famous edict expelling Christians from the city of Rome. He's not friendly to Christians. And Nero, well, Nero's the one we think Peter loses his life under. That Peter is a martyr because of Nero's persecution policy. These are the men. They're not moral people. They're not living in a way that look anything like Jesus. These are the people that Peter is talking about when he says, respect and obey. You see, there's nothing in here that says, if your leaders are good leaders, then respect them. If your leaders do what you like, then respect them. 
It doesn't say anything in here about respect the office but not the person. Notice it says honor the emperor. Not the office of emperor, but the person himself. Now to be honest, I think we do pretty good with the obedience piece. I think we struggle with the respect piece. What does it look like to respect President Obama or Governor Schneider or Mayor Hartwell or congressmen or women? Well, Jesus gave us a pretty simple rule. You and I should talk about them the way we would want our children, grandchildren, and spouses to talk about us when they disagree with us. We should talk about those who are in positions of authority the way we would like those who work for us at our corporation or wherever we are to talk about us when they don't agree with us. We should talk about President Obama or Governor Schneider or Mayor Hartwell the way that we want our patients or our clients or our students or the people who volunteer for us in the community to talk about us when we're not around or when they disagree with us. Jesus is saying, look, it's a pretty simple rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And if you want your children or your grandchildren or the people who work for you or the people who are your clients or your students or whatever, however you want them to talk about you, however I want you to talk about me, when you don't agree with me or when, you're not, when I'm not around, that's how we're supposed to talk about people who are in positions of authority, elected officials. Need an example of this? Consider Jesus on trial before Pontius Pilate. Here is Pontius Pilate, Roman authority, exercising and abusing his power. This is an abuse of power, what Pilate is doing. And it is the worst miscarriage of justice in human history. Okay, he is executing a man for doing nothing wrong. There's no evidence against Jesus. He's simply trying to please the people. There is no possible worse abuse of power than what Pontius Pilate is doing to Jesus on trial. It's not that Jesus was not guilty of what he was being accused of. He had never done anything wrong. And here he is on trial for his life, and Pontius Pilate condemns him to death. There's no fair trial here. There's no righteousness. There's no, there's no justice here. But what's Jesus' response? He doesn't verbally abuse Pilate. He submits to him. He says, hey, look, you couldn't have any authority except it was given to you by God. But he acknowledges you do have authority given to you by God. And Jesus is submitting to Pilate because he's submitting to God. He doesn't set out to try to undercut him, to verbally abuse him, to malign him, uh, to try to destroy him. He simply submits to him. He doesn't agree with him. Clearly, Jesus doesn't agree with what Pilate is doing. But he continues to respect and obey authority. Some of us are all too willing to turn on talk radio and listen to people who regularly run down and disrespect those that God has put in positions of authority. But that's the way of the world. That's not how Jesus does it. 
That's, how not, that's not how Jesus interacts. So the first principle that God gives us, respect and obey those who are in positions of authority in the state. Principle number two is in verses 15 and 16. For it is, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. The second principle is that God is calling us to bless the community in which he has placed us. When he says do good, what God means is, is do good in relation to the state. Do good to the community in which I have placed you. God said something similar to Israel as he was sending them into exile to be strangers in a foreign land. He says, also, Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And the second principle Peter gives us is we're supposed to be a blessing to the city of Grand Rapids. We're supposed to be a blessing to the state of Michigan, to the United States of America, to the place in which God has placed us. On September 14th of this year, Calvary Church, we participated for the first time in Mayor Hartwell's Grand River cleanup. It was the 10th anniversary cleanup. This is where we get people together uh, and they wanted to clean up the Grand River because nobody's for pollution. And so Calvary Church participated this year. Like I said, it was the 10th anniversary. Uh, while we were there, uh, Mayor Hartwell came over to Steve Gibson, who's our executive pastor, and wanted to express to him just how grateful he was that we were there. Now, again, this wasn't just somebody trying to be a good politician. What he said was, because we showed up, Calvary Church showed up, their attendance at this cleanup was the highest it had ever been. Because of the 800 people who were there, over 30% of them, about 240 people, were from Calvary Church. We also gave a small uh, donation so that we could be a sponsor, along with Founders Brewery and GVSU, Steelcase, other corporations. We wanted to participate and do our part, and the mayor came over to thank us, and he actually announced to the whole group that because Calvary Church was there, this was the highest attendance, and everyone clapped and was appreciative of the fact that we were participating with them. That's God's point. He's called this year to be a blessing to the city of Grand Rapids. This is what Peter says, look, if you're going to help people see Jesus, go and be a blessing to them. Be part of what's going on in the city. Nobody's for pollution. Nobody is for corruption. Nobody is for anarchy. Nobody is for uh, failing schools. Be a blessing to the community in which I have placed you. And Peter says, do good in the city you live in so that even though people accuse the church, of being wicked, by your good deeds, you might show them, no, 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 God is righteous. God is righteous. So the second principle, be a blessing to the society in which we find ourselves. The third principle, and I, I think this one's the most important. It's found in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers Fear God, honor the emperor. The third principle that Peter gives us 
about our relationship to the governing powers. Keep the state and God in proper perspective. Keep the state and God in proper perspective. Meaning keep our relationship to the state and our relationship to God related to each other correctly. I get that principle from the fact that in verse 17 there are four commands. The first and the fourth go together and the second and the third go together. The first and the fourth go together because in Greek they both use the same verb. It's hard to see that in English because we use two different English words to translate them. But show proper respect and honor the emperor is the same command. And the point is, is to society in general and to the governing authorities, our relationship is supposed to be one of respect. But commands two and three, which are in the middle, those use much stronger verbs. Respect society, but love the family of believers. Respect the governing authorities, but fear God. We are to love the church, and we are to fear God. That is a much higher calling than our relationship to the governing authorities. And the point is, our relationship here at this church, these relationships supersede the relationships we have in the community. And most importantly, our relationship with God, this supersedes our relationship to the governing authorities. In fact, our relationship to the governing authorities is derived from our relationship with God and superseded by that. What this means is, is that when we participate in the mayor's Grand River cleanup, that's a really great thing to do. But we should spend more time and energy and money and effort here on the family of believers that we're supposed to express love, that we want to participate in those things and be a blessing to the community in which we find ourselves. But how much more important is it for us to be engaged in a small group here, to be caring for those among us who are hurting, who are in need? Peter's saying, respect the community, but love your church. And our relationship here at Calvary supersedes our relationship to the community. It also means that if the governing authorities tell us as teachers or students you're not allowed to share Jesus or talk to anybody about Jesus in the public schools, that we have to realize that our obedience to God supersedes our obedience to the state. Now you can be respectful. You can share Jesus in the most unobtrusive way possible. But at the end of the day, we must obey God and not humans. And that if the state commands us to disobey God, not if the state does something we don't like, but if the state commands us to disobey God, we must remember our relationship with God supersedes our relationship with the state. It's more important to obey God and to tell people about Jesus than to obey the authorities who are over us on that regard. It also means that our relationship to the governing authorities, we're only ever gonna get that right 
if we get our relationship with God right. Notice what it says in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, for it is God's will. Verse 16, live as God's slaves. Peter's point is, is look, if you get your relationship with God right, you'll get the relationship with the state right. If something goes wrong in your relationship with God, then it's going to go wrong in your relationship with the state. And frankly speaking, at this point, I think many of us are guilty of idolatry. I think many of us are guilty of giving the state too much credence, of giving the state too much power, or allowing the thinking the state has too much power. Take the Affordable Care Act, for example. Now, I'm not here to say whether this is good legislation or bad legislation. That's not the point. The point is that some people are afraid that the Affordable Care Act will limit access to good medical care. But what if it does? What difference does that make? At the end of the day, God is our source of health. God is the one who heals us. God is the one who takes care of us in our sickness. Is God's power hindered by our medical coverage? Is God at all stymied by the fact that we have a different insurance than we might have had? Does that at all stop him? The problem is, is that when we're running around here constantly railing about health insurance, what does that say to the God in heaven who says, I'm your healer? I could care less what kind of medical insurance that you have. I will take care of you. Amen. It's idolatry to think that our lives are going to go well or not go well based on our health insurance. It's simply not the case. The problem is, Peter says, you've got things out of perspective. You're fearing the government and only respecting God. We're supposed to respect the government, but fear God. God is the one who comes and rescues us. In our sickness, it's God who heals us. God is not limited by what the government does. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Amen. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. What can mortal man do to you? The nations, they rage. God sits on his throne and he scoffs. He's still Lord. And when you and I give too much credence, too much attention, get too fixated on the policies that the God, get too worked up about it. What we're really saying to God is everything in my life depends on what the government does. You and I, frankly, need to spend less time talking about what the state is doing and more time talking about what God is doing. Amen. When Jesus was asked the question, is it right to pay tax to Caesar or not? Jesus said, give me a coin. Whose image is on the coin? They responded, it's Caesar's. And Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. The coin is made in the image of Caesar. But Jesus is saying, you are made in the image of God. Look, so the government wants more money in taxes. So the government wants to take some of your money away. Jesus' point is, so what? Let them have it. It's their money. 
It's got Caesar's picture on it. Give it back to him. He can take it all back. But you and I, we belong to God. We are God's. Give to God what he deserves. Give to God. Remember that we belong to him. And when you and I disrespect and disobey governing authorities over us, we've forgotten that we belong to God. And he put those authorities in place. It doesn't mean God agrees with everything they've done. Far from it. But we belong to God and God has commanded us, respect and obey them. When we want to withdraw from society and we want nothing to do with the city of Grand Rapids or the state of Michigan or the United States and we say, fine, they can just, they can have their policies and I hope everything goes badly for them. Jesus says, you've forgotten, you belong to God, I put you there to be a blessing. Bless the community in which I put you so that people might come to faith. And when you and I get fixated on how much we're paying in taxes, on what policies are being passed, on what our insurance coverage is going to be, and that the laws of the land don't read exactly the way they want them to read, Jesus is saying you have forgotten that you belong to God, that God is your doctor, God is our teacher, God is our judge, God is our provider, God is our refuge, God is our shield, God is our retirement, God is our safety, God is our security, God is our everything. Give the money back, you don't need it, you've got God. And Peter's trying to remind us, look, the crazy thing, the crazy thing is God actually thinks that politics is a way to win people to Jesus. We've made it a way to push people away from Jesus. And Peter says, look, I was there on that day that Jesus said those things. And what he means for you and I to do is to respect and obey those in authority over us, to be a blessing to the wider society around us, and to keep our relationship with the state in proper perspective with our relationship with God. And some of us here this morning, and I think I mean all of us, are probably guilty of allowing our attention to get too fixated on what the governing authorities are doing. And I want to pray right now and ask that God would help our hearts be drawn back to him. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Lord, we are a wayward people. We should know better, but we forget. God, we look around us and think that everything in our life depends on the circumstances. It never has been that way and it never will be. It all depends on you. And God, right now there are some of us that need to confess that we have not spoken respectfully about those that you've placed in authority over us. God, that we've been unconcerned with being a blessing to the wider society around us, to the city in which you've placed us. And Lord, some of us are guilty of idolatry. We've put too much faith and hope in the government and not in you. God, forgive us. Lord, we are sorry. Lord, you have been so kind to us and so generous and so powerful and so good. Lord God, you have never let your people down. You have never failed us. Your faithfulness reaches to the heavens. God, why are we afraid? 
God, why are we worried? Lord, you are with us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? God, forgive us. We are a foolish people. Lord, remind us again of how great your love is for us. Help us to fear you and you alone. And Lord, we're asking you, please do this. We can't do it in our own power. In Jesus' name, amen.